What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Once again, I'm here. My, my name is Ben Sternkey. My name is Christy. We should write this out. We should write out like what we say at the beginning of every podcast for people. I feel like just, we do this every time where it's just like we just sort of stumble into it. Um, I know. And then it's, it's awkward because, well, most listeners know our, our names. Podcast. So I know. But it's true. Just in case right. we're this just is saying the first hi. episode. Um, yeah, we're just saying hi. Uh, my name's Ben. And I'm here with Christy. Hi, Christy. Hi. I'm glad Hi. we're here. <laughs> uh, I am too. Um, we are in the height of summer here. Yes, we this are. This podcast is releasing on July 20th, which, um, do you know what's special about July 20th? No, but I bet you'll tell me. Take a guess. I will tell you. Take a guess. I have no- do you want to take a guess? <laughs> Just you have it's no- lemonade day. It's like it's National a, Lemonade Day. That's a great guess, but it's <laughs> it might be, but that's not what I was thinking of. It is it is my it will be my it's my wedding anniversary, and oh. this year July twenty we're obviously recording this before July twentieth, but um, on July twentieth when this podcast episode releases, it will be my twenty fifth wedding anniversary. Come to on, my wife, Deb. Isn't That's that amazing. You need to like, drink some lemonade and say I'm gonna cheers. I'm going to totally drink some lemonade <laughs> on my anniversary, a party time. Um, is that, is that a, are you celebrating? Silver? Is that silver? Or is uh, it, do I have that wrong? Uh, I don't know, but it's See, a, it's a lot of years. Silver. It In is, dog years, years, I mean, it's In like dog years, beyond. It, yes. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, are you celebrating uh, so anyway, somehow big? Big trip or I'm tr- at least right a night now, away? As we record this, uh, we're trying to... We're, we're not doing a big trip. Um, we, yeah, we're not doing a huge thing, but we're trying to find um, like a little Airbnb somewhere, just get okay. away for a night or two. We'll have just gotten off vacation. And so it's sort of like, you know, I feel a little bad taking like yet more vacation. But hey, it's our 25th wedding. Hey, for 25 so years, yeah. totally worth it. Yeah. That's so great. Well, congratulations. Yep. Thank you. Speaking um, of lemonade, 
and the height of summer. Oh my goodness. You got a story, right? Okay. About your kids? Listen, my kids are mm-hmm. really wanting to make I have five kids mm-hmm. and my younger ones really want to make money because my older one has a lawn mowing business and he's making mm-hmm. bank this summer mowing the whole neighborhood, <laughs> right? right? And so yeah, my yeah. little ones are like, I want to make money. And so they decided to do this lemonade stand. So I go to Walmart, we buy three gallons of lemonade, pre-made, oh right? Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, have a little table and we go actually like a block away from our house so that there's like a main road there. And mm-hmm. they have some cups. And I told them, like, I, it's also like this lesson in economics, but I told them they were going to have to pay me back for the lemonade and the cups. <laughs> have a, Take a guess. Take a guess how much each of them made in three hours of selling these three gallons of lemonade. Three hours, three gallons of lemonade. Two, I, two I kids, know. two boys. I don't know much. Two boys. I made you guess something earlier, and so right. I know that's why I'm guess, making you right? do it. It's only yeah. fair. Yeah. So put me on the spot. I, I'm going to guess they made a hundred dollars. I really don't know. They made over a hundred dollars. They each they made really? wow. fifty-seven dollars each. Fifty-seven dollars. I was like, I need to quit my job and just sell lemonade. Just that's sell lemonade. bananas. Oh bananas. my goodness! And of course, you know, my mm-hmm. my one son was like, I think they gave us tips because we're so cute, mom. <laughs> Oh, learning. I was like, oh, yeah, cute uh, cute factor totally helps. But um, yeah, yeah, they're making bank selling lemonade. So now every day they want to sell lemonade. I'm like, no, that can be like, you know, once every other (laughs) week maybe or something. A special thing, yeah. Yeah. We'll have to find out when. People won't give them $57 every single day. If they're out there every (laughs) single day, they'll be like, all right, calm down. (laughs) No, but maybe we'll figure out when National Lemonade Day really is and then do it on that day. I'm sure it's a thing. Right? I'm sure it is too. Yeah, and if it's not, up. we'll make it a thing. Uh-huh. You're gonna look it up. I'm looking You're gonna it look up. it up. Yep. National okay. Lemonade Day. It's Friday, August twentieth. Okay, August twentieth. So Guess what? It's yeah, a month from now. We're gonna now. set our calendars. That's amazing. National Lemonade Day twenty twenty one in the United States. You can look it up <laughs> on the internet if you have that. Well, um, uh you were in this interview that, that's about to be yeah. played, uh, yeah. but I was not. So tell us about Mandy Smith. Mandy is wonderful, uh, is the first thing I'll say about Mandy. She is, we've known her, like last week we talked about knowing Matt Alexander for a long time. We've also known Mandy Smith for a long time through the same church networks that we were both part of, uh, both Matt, Tebby, and I. Um, And so Mandy, up until very recently, was a a pastor in Cincinnati. She recently moved back to Australia, where she's from, uh, with her family. And um, uh, this, uh, she's just wonderful. We've interviewed her once before about her previous book, uh, The Vulnerable Pastor, and um, she's just great. She ended up like pastoring us on the podcast, you know, um, on the previous one, um, like you know, prophetic words and things like that. It was like we we're doing we we're doing church. It was really great. You went to church. Um, I love it. We did, yeah. Um, and this this interview felt the same way. She just is. She's just got a beautiful. Um, uh, presence about her, a very humble and wise uh, voice um, that I, I'd, 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 if I was not a pastor and I lived in the town where Mandy was pastoring, I'd probably go to her church. She's brilliant. Mm. And bonus, like we're talking about her book, her new book is called Unfettered, Imagining a Christ-like Faith Beyond the Baggage of Western Culture. And it's got two by, it's got a two by two matrix in it, which that's one of my favorite things. A yeah. two by two matrix. In our training, we've got the grace and truth matrix, 
But um, I'm always thinking, I'm always drawing these, you know, in my, in my journal, if I think of something, you know, that, all, all of that kind of thing, like two things that are usually opposed to each other, that actually there's a synthesis if you, if you imagine it in a new way. Um, that's kind of what a two by two matrix does. So I really appreciated that. Um, I don't know if we talked about it on the interview, but um, she talks about sort of being both unafraid to be powerless and unafraid to be powerful. It's kind of her little matrix, um, which which allows us to be empowered, but also honor the limits of our humanity. So it's kind of what the the book is about. It's really it's it's kind of a model of discernment that follow that tracks really well with our um, with our own discipleship wheel that people get trained in in Gravity Leadership Academy. So she's great. That's so good. Somebody yeah. just recently asked me, uh, "What is my relationship with power?" Sounds like it go oh, right in wow, with what yeah. she's talking about. And I, yeah. we had a great discussion um, because I think it's a really good question to ask. And so it's huge. Um, yeah. 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 She deals with it in a particular way here in this book. But yeah, that's, it feels like uh, the awareness of power and how we wield it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. is, is a really, really key discipleship issue. Yeah. And cultural yeah. issue. So uh, okay. anyway, well, let's get into the interview. Let's listen to Mandy. Sounds good. Mandy Smith, welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Yeah, it's so good to be back with you guys. Yeah, uh, I'd love to see you again. Uh, have we done one or two episodes with you in the past? I want to say remember? one. Okay. I think the last one was about the vulnerable pastor. The vulnerable pastor, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that was, oh, you know what? Why I was thinking we did it twice is we did a, a rebroadcast uh, of that episode because yes. it was one of my favorites from the year. Oh, that's we were cool. Doing a little, like rebroadcast of some of our favorites over Christmas oh, break nice. or something like that. So anyway, that was the one I think where you prophesied over Matt <gasps> at the end of it. Do yes. you remember that? Was I think I did. Was it about yeah. Sabbath? Oh my went, gosh. I, I think it might have been. I better remember because <laughs> I remember it striking me as I listened to it several times. Usually, yeah, yeah either that or something to do with gender. I can't remember mm. what it was, but I'd love yeah. to. I do remember that now. Yeah. 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 Well, just let it rip if you got another one for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just let's be open to oh, the spirit. Oh man, here. that was probably rather awkward. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> oh no, it was so no, good. It was. It was lovely. It, it was. was so that's one of the reasons it was my one of my favorites. Oh okay. Um, well, maybe just, maybe uh, we'll put you on the spot this time. <laughs> well, may, maybe I do enjoy a good prophetic word. Um, I have no plans at this point. Just tell me. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, uh, don't get your hopes up. Um, <laughs> No, Mandy, I think it is, I mean, we're kind of getting into things before we even introduce you, um, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, you're, you're an old friend. so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's one of the things I most appreciate about you is that you embody in real time the content that we're interviewing you about. Hmm. You embody vulnerability in real time, you know, mm-hmm. to, the, to the extent that we can, you know, do some of that. So, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, so I, I, I'm appreciative of that um, uh, aspect of of who you are. Yeah. When you're writing a book about vulnerability and then this next book about childlikeness, you, Mm -hmm. uh, you have to, well, my website is called the way is the way for that reason that there's an integrity Mm. that um, is required of you. And actually the first draft of my most recent book was an argument for childlikeness, (laughs) a very Mm -hmm. grown up 
argument yeah, for childlikeness. Yeah. And yeah, I realized, yeah. you know, it was lacking in integrity. And as, yeah. as I had to find the integrity of the work, I had to find the integrity of myself as well to set aside my own fear that maybe to put some really important ideas out in the world, I might have to do it in a way that they thought were not important. And that was a part of kind of my own wow. healing as well. And I think yeah, what made the book yeah. more true to its own self. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder well, work book, than just talking about stuff. I know. I'd I prefer know. to just That's, talk about stuff. Oh, me too, Mindy. <laughs> That's why I think I admire um, what you do. Um, well, the book that we're referring to is called Unfettered. And uh, the, the, cap, um, use, uh, the subtitle uh, that you were referring to used to say an argument for childlikeness. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the new one is Imagining a Childlike Faith Beyond the Baggage of Western Culture. Um, so it's a new. It's it's out now. Yeah, yep, is that right. Just came out in May. Just came out in May um, from Brazos, um, and it's uh, it's a book about sort of seeking to disentangle Christianity from its imaginative captivity to uh, to Western culture. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's two statements uh, in there that I think that sum up your habitual ways of uh, two two statements that you say sum up our habitual ways of being in the West. Uh, one is, I think, therefore I am. And then the other one that I hadn't considered before is, I do, mm-hmm. therefore I am. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can expand on the ways that these kind of show up for us. Yeah, yeah. we've talked more about the Cartesian, you know, defining ourselves mm-hmm. as rational beings, which then does a lot of damage to our own selves, yeah. kind of chopping us into thinking, feeling, embody. you know, yeah. our body is here, our feelings are here, our thoughts are there. And... Um, and then also watching how much we are products of the Industrial Revolution as well, that we really mm. define ourselves by, by how much we produce. And yeah. um, just, try, just try taking a break <laughs> and you'll feel all <laughs> of these fears that if we stop for a while, then the world might fall apart or we might lose everything. And, um, and so, yeah, I think those things have sadly also come into the way that we do faith in the West and they're very Western things, but they're not very Christian things. Not that thinking by itself is wrong, but that God has not made us only thinking creatures and wants to engage with us with, with Mm. everything, with every part of who we are. And the funny thing is, as soon as I realized that, (laughs) um, my first thought was, I need to think about this so I can fix it, (laughs) which is just (laughs) perpetuating both of those again. Um, So it's a very strange thing to even change our posture and our habits to say maybe our salvation or our release from that that Western habit, those Western habits, is is to have a totally different habit entirely, which, yeah, Hmm. it's hard work. Yeah. Well, the work work is to stop working so hard. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. I was going to say something like like that. We can't think our way out of our captivity to thinking. Exactly. You or know? work our way out can't... of our captivity to working. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so you talk about, in the book, you talk about that as childlikeness. Mm. Um, and you kind of um, t- talk to us about how childlikeness then contrasts with these two ways of being. Like, <clears throat> what is it about childlikeness that made it seem like an apt right. uh, metaphor for you right. um, into these new ways of being? And I wish I could tell you this was something I like totally came across by myself. This was something that just kind of knocked my feet from under me. <laughs> You know, it came hmm. first by experiencing something um, on okay. on a um, Sabbath or a sabbatical, um, 
and just devoting myself to being like a child for eight weeks because I had nothing else to do. And then realizing, well, this is really significant transformative stuff. This is whimsy and wonder and so much more. And so then I had to figure out what on earth is going on here? Why is this actually threatening some of my comfort to be like a child? Mm-hmm. And um, comfort with looking in control and impressing people and, you know, all the things that I like to have. And so um, as I started to explore it more, I started to realize, um, wow, maybe there's more to this claim that Jesus makes that we can't enter the kingdom unless we become like children. And it's surprising how little has been written about that in in serious theological circles, even though, like he says, Isn't that interesting? The kingdom, like you can't get into the kingdom. That's We're spending so much time trying to figure this out. And yeah. and it's almost like we heard him and we're like, yeah, nah, that's that's ridiculous, Jesus. We got to find yeah. a better way than that. You can't get into <laughs> important things by doing such silly things, you know. So yeah. I think it also is an interesting mm. sign of how little we regard children and how we usually mm. assume, oh, to be a childlike just means to be always in awe and always feeling the wonder. And I think that's a part of what it means to be childlike. But when we were children. Uh, we didn't only define ourselves as thinking beings. We engaged with our whole selves with courage. You know, we listened to our instincts. We listened to our emotions. We listened to our bodies and we listened to our thoughts. Um, And we were very relational. We were engaged with nature. Um, We've done this before. We can do it again. (laughs) (laughs) And then also also we didn't also think that everything was up to us. Like we knew we had some agency and we did the best we could, but we weren't surprised that we didn't run the world. You know, you got up in the morning and you heard your parents already in the kitchen making your breakfast and the radio already humming and and you just joined something that was already at work. And um, so so I think those two things were encouraging to me to remind me that we have done this before and children, Mm -hmm. I actually, I genuinely admire children. They're incredibly honest and courageous and Mm -hmm. present. They're just so Mm -hmm. open. And I I think that's really what... um, what Jesus is inviting us into, to know we're yeah. not complete in ourselves and to be unashamed of that is yeah. is serious. Um, yeah. 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 So so we can't think our way out of our captivity to thinking. We can't work our way out of our captivity to doing. But that doesn't invalidate the goodness of thinking or the goodness of oh, working. Oh, no, no, no. Right? The goodness of doing. Um, and the, the childlike posture is one where we're free to think. Mm-hmm. We're free to have a thought because we're also engaged with our whole selves. We're also taking our emotions seriously and we're yeah. taking our bodily sensations seriously and we're taking nature and creation seriously. Yeah. Um, and then we're also free to be an agent. We're also free to yes. work. We're also free to produce mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because we're not a slave to that production. It be, it, it's, it's because we are uh, cognizant of the fact that our production is not the end-all be-all. Right. Not everything is dependent upon it. Right. That we're participating in something Absolutely. that is... That we're not, we don't get to control. We don't get to manage. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't have to. Thank God. Right. And I think, you know, when you, those, that I think therefore I am and that I do therefore I am, those instincts, um, I think have a big, big part in why we're all so burned out and anxious and depressed and doubting. Like, you know, yes. the deconstruction everybody's talking about. I think yeah. it's because they're still stuck in trying to figure it out with their minds. And mm. meanwhile, they're not trusting, well, I shouldn't say they, we, um, 
aren't listening to like God's bombarding us constantly with his wonders and his beauty and his kingdom all around us. And if we're only like, I'll only trust it if it's right in this small part of myself, um, then we just wear our one, this one little part of ourselves out <laughs> and, um, and a, a kind of blind and deaf to all the other parts of, of our own selves and of what God's doing. Um, so yeah, I, I say in the book, you know, the the yoke of the world is respond, respond, respond. So problem, mm. respond, question, respond. And even in the church, sadly, I see that so much. And mm. um, instead, what I found and what Jesus describes in his, his own description of his yoke is rest, receive, respond. And I think this is... Uh, a wonderful way to get over the it's all up to me, it's all up to God mm-hmm. kind of ping pong. Like I think we do one yeah. of those most of the time. Yeah. And yeah. we think, well, this isn't right. It's, it seems to be all up to me right now. God's supposed to be involved somehow, so maybe it's all up to God. And we just go back and forth, which neither of which really requires any engagement with God. Yeah. But the rest, receive, respond is what Jesus invites us to with His yoke. Like what a crazy thing that He says. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you're like, oh, great, it's all up to you, God. <laughs> and then he's like, right. take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me. And and you see, yeah. he's saying, you know, join in the mission with me that I'm already on. And there's yeah. a strange kind of rest, even in that. Yeah. And yeah. um, and there's actually a fruitfulness that comes from that kind of rest and receiving and responding mm. because you're you're joining in a work already done you're not desperately searching for new ideas and energy separate mm. from him but but you're tapped into the source i sometimes imagine that that yoke you know you know it's a double yoke that jesus is carrying as well it's not like i'm taking off right. my yoke and putting it on you it's right. you know we're all good 3dm yeah. people i remember <laughs> um mike breen's pictures of double yokes and um, yeah. that, you know, he, ca- he bears it and invites us to come with him. And I almost imagine the, the abide in me vine kind of image is, is somehow merged with that yoke that like to, to connect to that yoke, it's just like, it's a connection to him as well. It's not a dead yoke. Yeah. It's, it's also yeah. like a way to, to be a branch in the vine that's constantly connected to the source of all the creativity, all the energy, all the comfort, all the ideas, all the stuff that we're desperately trying to find in ourselves. Mm. Um, and so I have to say that the more that I've practiced this way of life, I have been more productive, more fruitful, written more mm. articles, like all the things I was trying so hard to do by myself. Mm. Um, I've, and they're not necessarily the things I plan to do. Like I've just had ideas and I've just had energy and I've just had enthusiasm and courage and comfort. Um, and guidance that I never, ever had before that I was trying so hard to do in my own strength, you know. So yeah. not that you can do it for the sake of that. <laughs> like, right. Right. Here's, <laughs> you have my, to here's my new aside. plan to yeah. be productive. It's yeah. not It's yeah. not effective. Yeah. yeah, it was actually a dying to my productivity and suddenly there yeah. was this source of things yeah. that I wasn't expecting, yeah. But it's really scary to say mm. if I stop working so hard and trying to find all these ideas, um, Will I be like there's this I think there's some strongholds around some of this stuff. Yes. That yes. tell us yeah, you are going yeah. to become nothing and people you will have nothing to contribute and people will not mm-hmm. have any regard for you and that's the end of your 
productive life. <laughs> right. <laughs> Spoken as someone who, who's heard the voices <laughs> saying things like that. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I uh, man, I, I so appreciate that. Uh, especially I want to, I want to highlight what you said that um, our, our ping ponging back and forth between it's all up to me. I got to get this done. And okay, God, God's going to, I don't know, God's got this, now, that kind of thing. Neither one demands any relationship with God yeah. or interaction or participation. Yeah. One is just this like, you know, hands up. Okay. I'm going to do what I want. Cause God's going to do what he wants. I don't know. Yeah. And then the other one is like, well, I, you know, God help me with my stuff here. I got, I got a bunch of stuff to do, but it's not, we're just asking for like some fuel, yeah. you know, or some resource. We're treating God as a resource in that, in that mode. But um, what you're inviting us into in this rest, uh, receive, respond, right. rest, receive, respond. Yeah, which is very similar to the way that we uh, train leaders, which I was super intrigued by, Mandy. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, so yeah, um, and so instead of respond, 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 of just like responding, kind of uh, without really thinking about it, you're inviting us into this, and it is inviting us into participation in what God is doing. So if God, you know, we, and we have to like lean into that, like mm. you said, there has to be this trust that God is actually up to something mm -hmm. and I can participate and I, you know, and, but I have to, I have to relax. I have to let go of control first. Right, right. Um, so there's, there's something, there's at least two steps before respond. <laughs> yeah, but there still is response. Right? And that's really important, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think when yeah. we're in an era where we're very aware of, um, abuse of power in the church and, you know, celebrity mm. pastors and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is a lot of the, cons a lot of the um, cautions that I've heard about that actually weren't what I needed. So some people need to be told, don't, tr don't try to be in control so much. Some people need yeah. to be told, you have agency, you need to step yes. up. And, yes. um, and so if we're not careful, if we only speak one of those, we'll actually affirm the temptations for some people. Yes. So if you look at all of the, many of the stories of the, the um, prophets throughout Scripture, most of them are saying no to God. <laughs> most of them are avoiding their agency. And um, Jeremiah's is my favorite because in the first chapter of Jeremiah, God says, I, I will appoint you as my prophet. And um, Jeremiah says, I'm too young. I'm just a child. And uh, and God doesn't say what we hope in those situations. It's like, you know, you've got this. You're strong. You're clever. You're educated. God just turned his eyes back to God, you know, turned Jeremiah back to God and said, I am calling you. I am sending you. I will give you the words to speak. And um, so I think it was really a beautiful thing when I realized, you know, it began with setting aside my efforts at control, but there was also a point that was just as scary, which was picking back up agency in some form. Yeah. Yep. And so I, yeah. I used the language, we have a childlike and, and childish kind of distinction in our minds. We don't have the same with adultish and adult-like. And so I started to create that mm. kind of language to say, we have to set aside our adultishness to be like a child, which is, you know, our efforts to be in control. We have to set aside our childishness to be like an adult in a healthy way, the childishness mm. of passivity, in order yeah. to embrace that we do have some power um, yeah. and to not abuse it. So, um, 
yeah, that's that was helpful for me to realize, okay, the rest is not just checking out entirely for the rest of my life. The rest is is uh, learning how to set aside my own um, efforts at power in order to receive what power I do have in in partnership with the power of God. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure this is why you created the word adultish, but I can't wait to use it on some people I know. Uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, I'll take no, I'll take you, all the blame. You're doing the opposite of helping Matt is now. That, so. Maybe that's an adultish thing to do. Maybe that's an adultish. I, I, I wasn't going to say that, but yeah, but that's a, uh, you can. Uh, Mandy, I'm I'm noticing a few things here, and we've talked about this. I, we talked about this a little bit when we had you on the last time, but um, I'm noticing that most leaders get to two stages, and you're calling us to a third. Let me see if you if this taxonomy lines up with what you're talking about. Hmm. The first is we sort of just lean into our ego, right? So we, 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 we do or we think or we make things happen, um, and we kind of lean into that until we kind of see the limits of that and even mm-hmm. the damage that can do. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when, when just maybe partially or mostly we see it, Oh, it horrifies us, right? Mm-hmm. And so we try to stay as far away from that as yeah, possible. Yeah. Right? So I've got a friend who's an Enneagram eight. He's like six foot four. And he spent the first half of his life just being a large white Enneagram eight dude mm-hmm. doing Enneagram eight mm-hmm. large white man things. Yeah. And yeah. he saw, like in his mid 30s, he saw how awful that was. And he retreated from that because mm-hmm. he didn't want to hurt people anymore mm-hmm. or, or dominate and control them. So I think those are the two phases that most. Well, you hopefully you get to stage two. Mm-hmm. Most of us get to, but the third phase you're calling us to mm-hmm. is a reintegration mm-hmm. and a maturation so that we're not simply staying away from yeah. how we could harm people, mm-hmm. but we're pressing into our agency in a way that, that brings it as a yeah. gift for others. Yeah, absolutely. And I think most of the healing comes when we're called to do hard things. And we have to somehow invite God to purify them. It's much easier to just avoid something than to do it well mm. and to be healed from the ways we've abused it. And that mm. grieves me so deeply for so many of my brothers in the mission because they still have gifts to share and there's nothing inherently wrong with being a white man. <laughs> but so many, thankfully, I'm so blessed to know there's that humility and that repentance um, mm. that that is becoming so much so evident in so many conversations I have, especially with guys, with white guys. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think the enemy could be having a field day in in saying, okay, you have nothing now to offer. Um, and mm-hmm. I was actually really encouraged, if you're familiar with Richard Raw's work, he did some amazing mm-hmm. work on um, initiation rights uh, for boys across the world. Mm-hmm. And the, it made me realize that... Um, you know, our culture doesn't have initiation rights for, for men, but many other cultures have. The interesting thing is for women, you know, there's this thing that's just built into a woman's body that happens when she's a young teenager that just, I mean, I remember being 11 and watching the boys on the playground the day that I got my period and being like, oh, they're such children. <laughs> they have no idea. <laughs> like. <laughs> I'm dealing, I'm 11 years old. I was just starting to feel good in myself. I'm starting to think I'm smart. I'm competent. And then you get smacked in the face with, Mm. 
talking about life and death and blood, for goodness sakes, at it's 11, true. you know. Yeah. And there's this thing that your mum tells you is going to happen once a month for the next 40 or 50 years and it's painful and it's embarrassing and you can't do anything about it. Like it's humbling. Um, but at the same time, you come to this place of, of like acceptance and of just getting on with it and there's a strength that comes in that. And... Um, and so Raw, you know, describes this journey for men as the hero's journey, that it begins, I'm doing like an uphill angle here. It's an uphill like power, getting more and more strong and more and more powerful. Mm. And and then there's a moment of crisis where, you know, you you can't get pregnant or you can't find someone to marry or some crisis happens, usually young adulthood, and you have a choice then of it being, you know, a crash and burn Um into something better <laughs> or just this onward struggle to just be, just keep pushing with the ego. Yeah. And he actually mm-hmm. describes the opposite for women that, especially in the traditional way women have been raised, and I'd say this is probably still true for a lot of women, it starts with a downward kind of movement of you, you're born and from there you're, you're, you're yes. taught lower, empty, serve other people. And... Mm-hmm. And this is true for me too, that there's a turning point, there's a, there's a moment of crisis which can become, um, again, still you have a choice of whether it's going to become an ego thing and a control thing or whether that, that confrontation with your own lack of, of power can become a, a release into freedom. Um, and so I think we all are confronted with those moments. The question is what we're going to do with them. And... Uh, I think Merton's work is great here too, talking about false selves and true selves, that I think this is where we we're invited to die to our false self, which we will at the at first think God is asking us to actually kill off something that is true to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think in making that distinction, we we come to know our true selves more because God will never actually call us to to die to what is truly us. You know, C.S. Lewis uses this kind of stuff constantly in his in his imagery. Imagery, you know, with the dragon scales being taken off. That uh, that he it's painful because we think it's our true self. But what God calls yeah. us to die to is is our efforts at uh, hiding and pretending to be something that we're not. And so praise Him that although it's really painful, there's He knows there's something. There's something true in the centre of us. And, and Merton says there's a, there's a diamond, a point of mm. pure light that is God's very name written in the heart of each one of us. I wish I had mm. the quote in front of me because it's so beautiful. Mm. And, uh, and, and there's a thousand points, you know, there's all these points of light blazing in, in us all that we can't see. And if, uh, yeah, I wish I could remember the quote. It's so mm. beautiful. But just Google Merton and Diamond and... He basically trusts that there is something at the centre of us that is God's name written in us. And if we would, try, if we would stop trying so hard, uh, we might actually find it in ourselves. The challenges and costs of leading others in the way of Jesus are high. Ministry life and leadership can be messy, painful, soul-crushing work pastors, church planters, and ministry leaders consistently face the ongoing temptation to care for the lives and hearts of everyone except themselves. But what if ministry leaders had the tools and encouragement to lead from a place of rest and wholeness? What if church planters developed a deep spirituality instead of skimming the surface? What if pastors took care of their bodies and had really meaningful friendships? 
What if missionaries paid attention to their emotional pain rather than avoiding it? All these reasons are why Matt Alexander started Soul Care Cohorts. Matt leads Soul Care Cohorts each semester for ministry leaders who want to grow in their health and wholeness. Each cohort is 10 sessions long and works through topics like emotional health, relational health, spiritual health, physical health, mental health, and vocational health. You can learn more about the next Soul Care Cohort by checking out the interest form in the show notes of this podcast episode. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. You talked about, so the model that you lay out here is rest, receive, respond. And I feel like that those are the kinds of, like, that little piece of wisdom there that, man, you know, the journey for men is oftentimes different than the journey for mm-hmm. women. And the word of wisdom for, for a man, you know, might be very different than a, the word of wisdom for a woman. I feel like that's wisdom born of this process. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, get, I get the impression as I read this book for you that, that this, is a, this is an exploration of, like, what is this process of, of uh, resting from control, right? And then receiving these unexpected gifts and then responding mm-hmm. and, and sort of participating and watching kind of what yeah. God does on mm-hmm. the other side of that. Um, what, uh, I guess one question I want to ask, this is really, sim- I mentioned this earlier, it's really similar to the training that we do in Gravity Leadership Academy. Um, and we, we kind of put those, those three moves for us um, are um, talked about as awareness, alignment, and action. Mm, and wow. So there's, there's awareness. You got the three A's and to, I've got the three, the three R's. A's. You went the three R's. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're both, uh, I love it. Alliterating. Uh, we, we can't help it, right? It must uh, be true. If it has alliteration. Yeah, it must be true because it's alliterated. <laughs> but see, but, Mandy has the benefit of saying it with an Australian accent. So it's I like know, 87% it percent cooler it and truer. truer. Well, and you know what though? Yeah. When you move back to a country where everybody sounds like you, you're just oh, not cool right. anymore. Yeah, you're just, just 30, normal now. 30 years down the drain. Yeah. It's funny. Um, uh, sorry, Ben. I'm sorry, okay. Ben. It's oh, you, got awareness, the, you got the three alignment, A's. Awareness. There we Action. go, the three A's. Okay. So I find then, so people, people learn how to become aware of what's going on underneath the surface, right? So instead of just like knee-jerking and trying to fix a problem, they're like, I wonder why this bothers me or I wonder what's going on here, mm-hmm. right? And then there, there's a process of alignment where I think is roughly analogous to what you talk about with receiving. We mm-hmm. receive these unexpected gifts from God, mm-hmm. um, and then we respond, right? So there is still this response. There's this act of mm-hmm. faith mm-hmm. That, that has to be uh, practiced for us to kind of complete the cycle or um, to really kind of be doing God's will. And um, that is the moment that I notice that our old habits kick in. For, for most people that we train, and for me still, like the moment of response, the moment of, okay, it's time to do something, that's where it's really easy for us to revert back to our old imagination and take back control mm-hmm. and try mm-hmm. to make something happen. And, 
you know, that, that kind of thing. So yeah. I don't know if you found that yeah. um, to be true, but I, I wonder if, you know, what, what can we learn? How can we learn to respond in ways that don't involve trying to control things? I don't yeah. know if you have examples of how this process has worked out in your life. For yeah. Example, or yeah. It's huge. Isn't how to it? help people out of that. Right. And, um, I think the better we rest, the better we mm. respond. And so, mm. um, mm. for me, it kind of came, I stumbled on this by accident and it's probably one of the most powerful things in my life that there's a kind of emptying in the resting and it might be mm. like literally taking a whole day off or taking a whole week or month off or it might just be taking a breath to say I'm connected, mm. the spirit is mm. in me, you know. Yeah. Um, and you've been in meetings like I have where everything's tense, nobody has any answers, there's conflict everywhere, and then someone just says, can we pray, you know, and a different mm. a different kind of air comes into the room and it might only take five minutes, you know, and it might not resolve mm-hmm. all your questions but it just gives you new space. And so mm. um, for me it began with emptying, which is not something I was taught to do and, in fact, most of our faith in contemporary times is more consumer, like give me God, fill me Gathering, God. accumulating. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Scripture also talks about purging and pruning and purifying, all of which are about getting rid of things. Yeah. And yeah. so um, this feels like death to a, mm. a, to a consumerist culture, mm. and I had no idea what life was behind it. But if we, if we empty by confessing our desperate efforts to do things in our own strength, there's just more space. And I, mm. use, I use the image often of, um, you know, from 2 Corinthians 4 of Paul using the, the image of being clay vessels that, that carry this eternal glory. And, and we don't often feel that, that glory of God in us. And I think it's because we've got so much other junk in there <laughs> that we're trying so hard in our own strength. And so we say, fill me, fill me, give me your spirit. I don't feel your spirit. And I feel like the spirit's down there somewhere squished under all the junk, just saying like, just give me some space. I'm already here for goodness sakes. So so I literally, and I have a prayer that um, I've made a video of that I can share a link to if you want to include it, of, um, of just taking the time to like feel myself as this clay vessel, this very weak, limited, cracked, ordinary clay vessel and and visualising that I've just got these chunks of concrete inside of me that I've just kind of shoved in there to help fill up some mm-hmm. space, but they're useless. Efforts mm-hmm. at trying to control my kids and my church and the world and all the rest. And, and taking time every morning because, you know, I wake up wanting to control the world too. Like I haven't, <laughs> I haven't overcome this either. Um, every morning, choosing to say once more like, okay, I'm giving this to you, I'm giving this to you, I'm giving this to you. And it's like the spirit that's already in us. It's mm. just like, ah, oh, okay, I've got space now. And mm. and I like to visualize it like it's molten gold. And people who've watched Hobbit movies tell me it reminds this of that reminds them of the the scene in the Hobbit movie where all the gold is just going everywhere. Like this molten gold, this this unfading treasure that's in us that just now has space to just fill and seal up all the cracks and and overflow, like not for our mm. own selves alone, but but to um, also be a blessing to the world. And 
Um, so I, what I say in the book is that the response um, is is a natural outflow of of the receiving, which is a natural outflow of the yeah. resting. Um, and so the more I think, the more that we've emptied in order to rest, the more that we've practiced the the way of even responding out of out of the emptiness somehow mm. out of knowing mm-hmm. that it's not our choice and our control yeah. but absolutely you're right that like mm. you want you want to rest so that you can have an agenda of what you're going to receive and then you want to control the outcomes and this was really powerful for me I'll say this and then I'll finish the answer to your question um because so we rest we receive, we respond, and so we're doing things that we believe God has prompted us to do. And when it goes well, according to our expectation of success, we're like, yay, God, thank you. I understand now why you prompted me in that direction, and we go back to resting in Him. But when it doesn't go the way we expected and it goes into a place of suffering, you know, we're just we're only here because of our obedience to God, and it just feels like death. Like, God, how could you bring me to this place? It didn't build the church. It didn't fix my family. It didn't answer my questions. Why would you bring me to this place? And this is where I really found so much comfort in being with my Catholic brothers and sisters because they have Jesus on the cross everywhere you look. You know, like His obedience to the Father took Him to the cross. And so resting and receiving and responding doesn't always, it always takes us to the kingdom, but the, the kingdom is not always welcome in this world. And um, so there's a place even there where um, responding to the spirit within us uh, will some, that's what takes martyrs to their death, you know. So it's not always, this is what I had to um, repent of as well as thinking, well, if God's leading me to it, then it must always be successful. Yeah. Uh, but there's a way also that I think in Protestant circles, I hadn't been taught to find solidarity with Jesus in suffering as well that yeah. that also takes us closer to the kingdom and to um, needing the Father more and more. Hmm. Yeah, so the, the response, uh, it has to be connected to the gifts that you've received in your rest. Mm. It has to be connected in some way. It can't just be this like, okay, well, that's enough rest. Time to <laughs> yes. get back to action. Yes. Yeah, it has to be this uh, integrated into this new way of being right? Um, that you talk about. Yeah. I wonder if um, um, I wonder if so. I know I know that you recently um, moved across uh, the world to the other side of the world um, and took a new job and left a ministry job in a in a country that you um, uh, had been uh, at for quite a while. Um, and I'm wondering. As I found myself. I, I knew this about you, Mandy. And then I, um, as I was reading this book, I found myself wondering mm-hmm. if part of this process was instrumental in you making this decision and yeah. moving in this direction. Well, you asked me that. I'm glad you asked me that in an email before we jumped on here so <laughs> that I could have some time to think about it because I think yeah. you're really onto something there and I hadn't even realized it myself that um, yeah. this move, we've, we've, you know, we're from Australia. We've, we never actually felt called to leave Australia for such a long period of time. We left originally to study. And I share some of that story in the book. Um, and so we left for 10 years and we were gone for 30 years and we'd, mm. we'd tried many times and it was probably a source of some of our deepest suffering and questioning of God, like, 
why have you taken us away for so long from our family and our kids are mm. growing up without their grand grandparents and cousins and um, and we also, it was partly just we wanted to be home, but it was partly a sense of the, the need here that we wanted to be a part of the mission here. And mm. um, and so we had always planned and tried to find work here and had several things in place that had fallen through over the years. And, and so um, in the middle of the pandemic, you know, I think I've heard this for so many people in ministry, things things just hit the fan. Like there were so many ways. I think in a way it's that like things that were stuck were also released. Like it's like the ground shook and suddenly Mm. all the roots were somehow like just disrupted and that felt really disruptive, but also it was, there was a strange kind of really uncomfortable release in it for Mm. so many people that I know that you just like, oh, you're thinking about things in a different way and different things become possible. And so um, I do think that you're right, though, that ideally we would have liked to have everything set up before we move and take a long time to go through the process of such a huge transition. Like we've been here for six months now and we still aren't finished with the transition of establishing mm. a new life here. It's massive. And we're from here. You yeah. know? Right. Um, right. And, and so I think, yeah, you're right that like, I've made smallish and medium-sized choices based on um, childlike instincts before. I've never made such a huge transition, and I'm actually feeling really like anxious in my stomach just even remembering it. Like to leap, mm. to leap into a space that really felt totally unknown because we didn't really have a life set up here. We just we we did we felt called. We felt like it was time to f- be finished in the U.S. That was mm-hmm. fairly sure, but still, that was just instinct you know that was something unseen and and not even in in words so that was something we were pretty sure of but to to step away from something without knowing what you're stepping into and to put everything at risk we left our daughter behind as well and that breaks my heart she's a grown-up by the way (laughs) oh Um, Oh, good we didn't just dump her at she's six years old yeah Um, She's thrifty, though. She'll be fine. <laughs> She'll figure it out. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I remember watching, um, is it called We Are the Champions on Netflix? Uh, it's a TV show that uh, that explores all these different crazy competitions around the world. It has the guy mm. from, the, from the office um, doing the voiceover. Anyway, it has this one woman on there who's a cheese rolling champion. You might have seen shorts of this. Oh my goodness! You have to watch cheese rolling. Yes, yeah, so there's a little there's a little town in England that's a cheese making town, and they have this ancient tradition of having a race every year of rolling a big wheel of cheese, like it's bigger than mm-hmm. you know, it's right, this big, right. like the size of a yeah. wheel of a car of cheese right. down a huge hill. It's almost a cliff. It's so steep, <laughs> and they have the townspeople chase it down the hill, cool. and this one woman, she is just my hero. She launches herself. She's the champion of chasing this cheese. And you'll, oh my goodness, her name is somebody early. I can't remember her name, but you can Google her. Um, and she just like somersaults and, and bounces and just, just like with a bend and throws herself down, <laughs> launches herself down the hill after this cheese. And, and that image was in my head the whole time I was doing this. Oh my God. Um, and I, I wrote a, I wrote a little blog post about like self, 
self, um, self-preservation is overrated. And so I was at a place where I was like, you know, we, we all have, I think we miss out on something of Jesus' sacrifice when we only think about his physical death, because in a way we're not physically dying, so we don't get exactly what that means for us. Hmm. But he died in so many ways before he ever got to the cross. He died to his self-preservation, yeah. social deaths, relational deaths, existential deaths. You know, Gethsemane is a death of its own. Mm-hmm. And... um so many ways that we live, like our life is not just our physical body being alive. It's our sense of, of social equilibrium and, and sense of ourselves and, and, and where we belong in the world and how, who we think we are in our identity and our work and our family and all that stuff. Mm. And um, so to, to launch yourself into some huge thing without fully understanding what it is like I've just done, it feels like death. You feel like you're going to die. You're losing. You know, you're walking away yeah. from a role that you've really found meaning and purpose in. You're walking away from relationships that you've found comfort in. And you, there's some way in which you think it's you're going to die. And I realized, like, <clears throat> there's that saying, uh, Jim Elliott, I think, the, the um, uh, missionary who sadly went to his death soon after joining the mission, says something about, you know, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I just came to a point where I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm just going to do it. Like I'm not just going to like edge down the hill and hope I can find the cheese. I'm Like if you're going <laughs> to do it, like <laughs> you might as well do it with some, with some yeah. like panache. You know? Right, <laughs> yeah. Why not cast yeah. yourself in wholeheartedly yeah. to this thing that God is calling mm. you to, even though it's terrifying? And my stomach is in knots just even just even feeling it because in some ways we're mm. still there. Like we haven't entirely landed yet. Yeah, yeah. So fresh. Talk about alliteration. Champion cheese chaser. <laughs> Champion cheese chaser. Mandy Smith. <laughs> Came on the podcast today. Mandy is a champion cheese chaser. That's hilarious. Um, that that is a hilarious image, uh, Mandy. I need to um, find you that really, that video. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to maybe we can link maybe it. We can put notes. it in the show notes if we can if we can find it. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think I think what's um, striking me as you share that story, Mandy, is just that all of all of that making this huge decision, you know, like running, falling down the hill, chasing the cheese, like was rooted in this process for you. Well, I think, I think so many of us are hungry for, if we're going to do that kind of a move, we need certainty, yeah, right? We yeah. need God to write on the wall. We need 13 friends to confirm it. I need an anonymous prophetic word. I need to get some money in the mail. And you know what I mean? Like we want all of these assurances that this is certainly God's will. God is making it very, very clear. But you're, you're saying, you know what's like, there's a, in this new way of kind of learning and trusting God, it, it's not, you don't always get certainty. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get a hunch, mm-hmm. Sometimes you get an instinct. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you get a feeling that you know it's right. Right. Um, and I can I can point to I mean I'm think, as you're sharing your story I can think of like three or four times in my life when <laughs> when I share the story with people I'm always like you know I don't even I don't know why we made this decision in mm-hmm. hindsight it doesn't seem very smart yeah, yeah. but we were so sure mm-hmm. like just we we felt clear you know right. that this was what the Lord was doing and I think it's part of the fruit of moving through the process that you outline yeah. um, in this book. But our culture doesn't really really teach us to trust those parts of ourselves. No, 
No, yeah. it, feel, so it seems like you're being spirit. an idiot or foolish. Yeah, which we are, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the best ways. Yeah. Well, Mandy, maybe we can maybe we can close this out um, by speaking to maybe maybe somebody's listening and they are um, they're th- they're hearing about this. You know, the the lovely ways that you speak about um, trusting God in this and you know chasing. They want to chase the wheel <laughs> of cheese down the hill. Um, but they're they're worried. Mm. They're they're fearful that if they give themselves over to resting and receiving and responding, if they let go of control, they're going to accidentally abandon the gospel, mm. or they're going to accidentally make it a horrible, a terrible decision. Mm-hmm. They're going to believe something false um, if they give themselves over mm-hmm. to this new way of being in the world, this new way of of learning. Mm. Um, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would first of all acknowledge like that's real. I don't want to minimize in any way mm. that that mm-hmm. fear. At the same time, I think what I had to come to was a trust that God is one and that he right now I can't see how he's one, how God in my church, God in my body, God in my family, God in the world are all the same God. But mm. it doesn't mean he's not one. <laughs> it just means I can't see it yet. And um, it takes a deep trust to trust that he's, he's not confused and he's not in conflict with himself. He is good in every way. And if he's working in me, he knows I'm married. He knows I've got kids. He knows I'm part of a church. He knows all of my connections and he knows what that will mean for everything else in the world and in my life. And um, that doesn't bring certainty necessarily, but it gives a deep peace that maybe he sees things I don't see and... Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's something, mm-hmm. there's something he has in store that I can't see yet. The answer's in a story and the story isn't finished is what I say to myself over and over again. It's a line from a, a quote from a poet that I probably should learn to pronounce his name, Padraig Otwama. It looks like he's Irish, oh, yeah. T-U-A-M-A. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I have that on a post-it note on my wall. The answer's in a story and the story isn't finished, which sounds like the gospel, you know, like we're never going to really fully know the fullness of the story, but I have to trust that it's a beautiful story and it's a huge story. And in, and when we're in it, we're not going to see it yet, but we are in it. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, Pass the baskets again, and we'll take communion mm-hmm. again. No, <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Candy. Uh, I didn't uh, get any Mandy. words for you either, Ben. So yeah, you, well, yeah, maybe like, next time we'll have. I'll to. be in touch later. Yeah, but yeah you need to listen a, to this. I think you need to listen to this one again. There's a there's a few words for you in this. <laughs> something about, something about yeah. cheese and a downhill cheese, race, yeah. <laughs> racing downhill for cheese. I mean, uh, again, friends, the, uh, the the book is called Unfettered: Imagining a Childlike Faith Beyond the Baggage of Western Culture. Mandy, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join you'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. 
And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.